1: And this is Franchise Today. I am Stan Friedman coming to you from the FRM Solutions studio in the heart of Buckhead right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Today is Wednesday, January 22nd, and in the front of the house this week, the countdowns continue. IFA's 2020 is just two weeks away, but even before that, the clock is ticking too for your chance to register for the Titus Franchise Center's Mark Ops Franchise Boot Camp at Palm Beach Atlantic University in beautiful West Palm Beach, Florida. This two-day boot camp is coming up next Tuesday and Wednesday, January 28th and 29th, and will reveal systems, methodologies, skills, and practices of some of franchising's leading marketing and operations professionals. If your goal is to maximize your investment in marketing and ops. For the purpose of building a more successful and desirable franchise opportunity, this bootcamp will provide valuable information covering every aspect of domestic and international franchise marketing and operations. The bootcamp will feature keynote speaker, Charlie Morrison, CEO of Wingstop, and will also offer learning sessions facilitated by a faculty of career franchise executives who have consistently delivered and exceeded their company's marketing and operations goals. Those luminaries will also include this week's guest on Franchise Today, Jason Anderson, President of United Franchise Group's VentureX. And speaking of Jason, he'll also be joining me on Sunday, February 9th, as I moderate a learning lab at the IFA convention titled, Managing the Digital Consumer Tsunami. Also featured on that panel will be Christian Pillett, Co-CEO of Transitive, Marcus Slater, Chief Marketing Technology Officer of DecaLounge, and Chris Leibier, Chief Strategy Officer at Revel Systems. You don't want To miss any of these upcoming events, you can look for links following today's podcast on my Franchise Today Facebook page. And now, with all of that said, it's time for this week's Franchise Birthdays. Many happy returns to Michael Graham, Billy Llewellyn, Stephen Eddy, Christian Pillett, John Evans, Stephen Foley, Joshua Korn, Danielle Allen, Brett Newman, Andy Cheatham, Christine Hansen, Elena Linatus, Carl Reeder, Barry Miller, Irwan Malhotra, Elliot Cunningham, Stuart Williams, Ryan Hicks, Pete Ball. Dean, Ollie Rogers, and Federico Fiorentini. I hope you all have a great day and a wonderful week, and make this your best birthday yet. So, I've got a really insightful interview for you today. So, let's take a quick break right here and come back with today's guest, Jason Anderson, president of United Franchise Group's rapidly growing shared workspace concept, Venture X. We'll be right back in less than two minutes with Jason.
0: Franchise today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about Transitive, an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines, they then deploy machine learning. Yes, artificial intelligence, which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important, Because as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value. But wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's io. Rich in franchising, real estate, marketing, and technology experience, Jason Anderson is the president of United Franchise Group's VentureX. Jason has served in several other leadership roles across United Franchise Group's 11 Brands, 1,600 locations and a footprint covering more than 80 countries around the world. I should mention, too, that United Franchise and its executives provide leadership and service to franchising that go beyond their own walls. This vis-a-vis the Titus Franchise Center at Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm Beach and to the IFA. In fact, Jason will be participating in a panel that I'll be moderating at IFA 2020 that will address how to manage the digital tsunami, and it speaks to how, where, and why to use consumer the data in the marketing of your business. Jason also has strong background in real estate management, which came following his five years of active duty in the U.S. Air Force, where he was a senior airman during 9-11 and served in Operation Enduring Freedom before separating with an honorable discharge in 2005. This young guy has a long list of accomplishments to be proud of. While in some ways his career is just getting started, he's done a lot of living in 37 years and he's here today to share some of the lessons he's learned along the way. Jason, proud to have you join us today on Franchise Today.
2: Dan, thanks for the great intro.
1: You're quite welcome. So I've heard you're America's oldest millennial. Is that true?
2: It is. If you (laughs) Google that term, I used to be the youngest guy in the room all the time, but I'm now starting to realize that that I'm not. I haven't been for about 10 years now, but they they peg 82 as the year. Last year, you could be born as a millennial, so consider myself the oldest millennial. That's correct.
1: Well, Jason, we're going to begin the show as I always do. We're going to wind the tape back and ask you how and when franchising found you, but first, I talked earlier about the Titus Center and Dr. Hayes and his upcoming Mark boot camp. Are you going to be participating?
2: I am. I'm actually speaking on one of the days at the event.
1: Well, you know, we know that this is coming right in front of IFA. It could be seven or eight days in front of the convention. So it might be a tough call for some people to make it. But what would you tell anyone in the audience about why they should register and not miss this program?
2: Well, Dan, I'm pretty sure you would agree that pretty much anything John Hayes is putting on in regards to franchising, it's worth attending. Second to that, it's in palm beach florida in the middle of the winter so if you're in new york or someplace that maybe not has as pleasant of weather that's another great reason to come here but most importantly john hayes always puts out and puts on quality content and events
1: i think that's well said i really hope that the audience will benefit tremendously from what they hear from you here today come back for a second bite of the apple at palm beach atlantic and then of course on our panel at ifa so let's rewind that tape now As I suggested a moment ago, unless you're somebody like Ray Titus for whom you work uh, and you were born into franchising, most people don't get there by design. There are some events in our lives that help franchising find us. What were you up to at that time? When was it? And tell us a little bit about how franchising found you.
2: Sure. Well, Stan, I kind of use a term that I tell people that my life uh, had been a series of really fortunate events that led me up to getting into the franchising industry. After I got out of the military, I had started my first business while I was active duty in the military. That was going well ran that business in Abilene, Texas, uh, subsequently moved to Dallas and got involved in residential real estate. So like a lot of people, I wanted to start buying and flipping homes. It was a great time to be able to get a mortgage right there before the subprime market fell out. And then in 2007, I got my real estate license. And then the next year, the entire market crashed. I was uniquely placed though in Dallas, Texas, that that was a fairly insulated market. And that allowed me to actually grow and flourish on uh, my business there. So fast forward to 2011, I ended up with close to 200 agents in Dallas and three offices there, uh, which made me one of the larger real estate companies in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. But then I realized I was winning a few awards with 200 agents, but Keller Williams and Remax had over 100,000 agents each, and I truly could not comprehend how they were 5,000 times, 500 times better than me. So I really started digging into what they were doing. I read all of Gary Keller's book. And eventually it came up to the common denominator that every company that was bigger than me in real estate was a franchisor. So that's really what got my interest and piqued my interest into the franchising industry. So I figured if this is what everybody else did, it must be what I need to do. So I was fortunate. I kind of looked up what it took to franchise your business. Uh, I was then subsequently acquired by a publicly traded company who did just that. The franchisor started there. They ended up selling a few, bought the franchise back, and it's still running to this day. And that's how I got started in franchising. Uh, I was fortunate that I won a few awards when I sold the business. Uh, I was in the inaugural edition of the Forbes 30 Under 30. I was on the cover of Realtor Magazine. And then within 90 days of winning those awards, I had signed a non-compete for residential real estate. Connected with a company, as you mentioned, United Franchise Group, they were launching a franchise called Transworld Businesses. Advisors, which a lot of people may have heard of, it's now the largest business brokerage in the world. I went through that franchisee school and went back to Texas as a regional vice president for that brand, helping to launch Transworld Business Advisors. And Stan, that's how I ended up at United Franchise Group here going on uh, almost nine years ago.
1: And you've had an incredible trajectory. And you know, you and I haven't had this conversation before, but maybe we do this at IFA and have a bit of a conversation about how I started in franchising, which was selling residential franchises to brokers that were independent. And I was working for companies like ERA, Prudential, Help You Sell, the beginning of my franchising career was doing conversion franchising to some of the biggest egos that God ever put on the planet. Residential real estate brokers, man, and the big ones are the toughest to talk to. I think they and car dealers probably have the largest egos. What do you think about that? Would you agree? I would agree with
2: that. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> but those were good years for me and I learned a lot that was transformative that I was able to take into my career. So I'm not surprised that you have some real estate background that you found beneficial as well. So talk to the early days of your roles at United Franchise. Just help us through the transition from your first job there and how even that happened. How did you get connected and how long was it before you and Ray Titus got to know each other?
2: Great question. So I was active on LinkedIn. I'd won a few awards even back then. And I I literally got one of those in-mails. I don't even know if it was called in-mail back then, 2011 of somebody saying I'm part of a company called United Franchise Group where we're looking for people interested in opportunities in, in Texas. I responded to that in-mail several phone calls later. As you may know, Ray Titus still believes in face-to-face meetings. We fly in every one of our discovery days. We did probably 450 to 500 of those last year. Uh, Within a few days of that phone call, I was on a plane coming to West Palm Beach, Florida for the first time. I ended up here at our 55,000 square foot world headquarters. There's a basketball court. There's a gym. I never knew really any of the ins and outs of franchising or who this company was beyond what I found on the website and my research on LinkedIn, which Ray Titus was not on LinkedIn at that time, so I couldn't really find anything much about him. Get into a meeting and uh, me and Ray kind of immediately hit it off. And seven days later, not exaggerating, that was a Tuesday. Uh, the following Tuesday, I was in the Trans World Business Advisors Franchisee School. Uh, within a week after that, I was in Dallas getting leads, meeting people, introducing them to the Trans World Business Advisors opportunity. So that was my first role as well, was a regional vice president. After that went well, I did 36 deals that first year. So really helped kind of launch the brand. One rookie of the year here at United Franchise Group. Ray and them kind of asked me hey what are you doing and and this is where kind of my technology background really came to play. I brought in a lot of my real estate brokerage technology to franchise sales. One of the things Dan, I'm not sure if you've ever connected the dots, but I felt franchise sales was an absolute natural for me. Coming off the back of having brokered several thousand real estate transactions at that point, I found selling a franchise to be almost identical of a process to selling somebody a house. Everybody starts off, they really don't know what they want. They always want to buy something more than they can actually afford. There's a bunch of, convoluted paperwork that the government has got involved with to just make things more complicated. There's financing. And then finally, there's sitting down, paying, signing, and moving forward with something. So I was very familiar with this process-driven sales. From the success we had in the Southwest region, about a year and a half later, Ray asked me to move to Los Angeles. Uh, My wife had never lived outside of Texas at that point. I sent her a text and a few months later we were on a plane moving to los angeles went to la uh, with the purpose of getting my real estate brokerage license in los angeles in california for the benefit of launching trans world there so spent about seven months got my broker's license helped launch trans world in california about seven months to the day after that ray asked me to move to florida so i lived in california for nine months and then flew down here To Florida and took over as the director of franchise development. At that point, Ray pretty much gave me free will to take over and try to bring United Franchise Group into the 21st century. So I worked with the team here, developing a lot of our systems and processes and CRM and marketing automation and new websites. Uh, We did very well. We had some very successful years. We doubled sales the following year. That led to me working with Ray to launch the consulting arm of United Franchise Group, uh, which was Accurate Franchising, who has now grown to be one of the sizable franchise consulting companies. We're still there. We'll be at IFA and pretty much at every IFE event this year. Ray then really saw I had a knack for technology after launching Accurate Franchising. At the same time, I also became the chief technology officer for UFG. So I had two roles. And believe it or not, this all combined together to how I got started in VentureX. They contacted United Franchise Group in regards to franchising in 2015, which by 2016 I was running the consulting arm so I was there part of the initial team really doing the initial feet on the ground thought process and business planning for turning VentureX into a franchise and then as of January of last year after Ray acquired 100% of the rights to VentureX I've been running the VentureX franchise brand so that's probably the whole podcast there trying to go through my history with, uh, with United Franchise Group, but it's been nine years, seven roles, three states, and I've been to most industrialized countries uh, in the world over that time frame.
1: That's a great story. And it's literally the best story you can find in the world is landing at a company that you can change jobs seven times over the years and never leave the company, right? And you just continue to grow into new opportunities as United Franchise Group has grown into a portfolio company from what was once a single sign company. So great growth. And it's great that you should Vision and values with Ray to the point where you've been able to stay parallel lines for this length of time and continue to grow. So, tell us about Venture X. And I've had the good fortune of touring the facility in West Palm and seeing what to me was the most amazingly and different than anything I've ever seen for a shared work environment. But let me ask you to share with the audience what makes Venture X different.
2: Sure, I really love that question. And I believe when you came to visit the Venture X here in West Palm, they hadn't even either just began or hadn't finished their expansion. that location is now double the size. We've actually taken the second half of the space and they finished almost all of the quarter billion dollar redevelopment of the mixed use development city place that it was in, which is now named Rosemary Square. So I bring that up because we had a lot of people that even came down for discovery days a year or two ago that we're bringing back down to see what the location now looks like. So if you were impressed then, you'd be really impressed now. But Stan, to answer your question, in flexible workspace slash co-working, Obviously, we know and people have heard all the news of the different players that are out there. About a third of our owners have actually come from the hospitality industry to get into co-working with our franchise opportunity. And at first, you may not really connect the dots of what the similarities are, but if you're looking to buy a large investment franchise, we're pretty similar to the hospitality industry at the base level. Meaning, if you're looking to buy a hotel, you have to get a building, you have to furnish all of the rooms, you have a lobby for people to come in, and then you rent those rooms by the day of the week or potentially long-term. But one of the pitfalls of hotels, and these are great brands, it's not a knock on them, they're 24-7, 365, and you have bathrooms in every room. So it's a lot of maintenance, and it's literally open every day, all day. Coworking is essentially the same business model. You get a space, you furnish it, you can rent that out by the day of the week or potentially long-term. But the hours are Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, instead of 50 to 100 employees, you only need three or four people to run it. Now, the reason I bring up that hospitality analogy to answer your question is in hospitality, people are very familiar with three-star, four-star, and five-star hotels. Well, the same logic exists in flexible workspace and office spaces. I'm pretty sure you've been to a very high-end law firm at some point, and their office is very nice, and you may have went to a CPA or some other office that maybe isn't as nice. Well, in that analogy, Stan, we are that five-star solution provider when it comes to hospitality and co-working and flexible workspace. You have your three-star brands, you have your four-star brands, and Venturex prides itself at being that five-star provider. And it really shows when you come to our location. Very similar if you were to go to an Embassy Suites, which is a great brand. So I don't want this to come off as derogatory in any way. I think the Hilton and the Marriott brands are excellent companies. I've stayed at a lot of them, but at Embassy Suites, they're typically three and a half stars, great, nice rooms. You're going to have made-to-order breakfast, and they have a free happy hour in the afternoon. Well, you have a lot of co-working spaces that have those similar amenities, but also owned by Hilton is Hilton, right? The actual Hilton Hotel or the Conrad or their upmarket brand, which you don't get free breakfast and you pay for your own wine in the afternoon. A lot of times people will say, well, I'm paying for more and getting less. Well, that's not true. In the Hilton, you expect nicer amenities, nicer pillows, nicer sheets, better options. So in that analogy, we would be the Hilton side of the brand versus the embassy suites. So hopefully that helps people kind of get an idea. If you were to walk into many offices, you could easily say this is a three star office. This is a four-star office, and this is a five-star, just the same way you would when you were coming to a hotel. We have bigger desks. Most of our desks are 60 inches versus 48. We have soundproof walls versus glass, and most importantly, a professional work environment. So again, if you were meeting a client at an Embassy Suites lobby, it's probably going to be kids there, people at happy hour, versus if you met a client in the lobby of the Westin or the Hilton or the Four Seasons, you kind of just expect a different vibe. So Stan, hopefully that helps kind of shed some light there and, and keeps it, simple in terms that people can really understand of of what our market segmentation is. And that's part of the reason we've been able to grow so consistently.
1: You kind of remind me of an old analogy that I used to use about cars. So a Volkswagen, it's a car. It's a German car, right? Absolutely. What's a Mercedes Benz? It's a car. It's a German car. But what else have they got in common? Zero. And I think that's to your point. You know, you've got your low-end hotels, your travel lodges, or your Super 8s, and you've got your ritz Carltons. So you guys are positioning yourselves. It sounds to me more like the Ritz-Carlton of shared workspace. And instead of the amenities being buffet or free food, it's soundproof rooms and more professional environments to get your professional work done.
2: It is. And I always tell people to hit even more home. It's like, if you're going to visit New York City or Los Angeles and you want to stay in kind of some of the prime areas, you hit it on the head. You're going to have your Ritz-Carlton's, your Four Seasons, but you're also going to have like the W Hotel, which is a great brand. And I openly tell people 10 years ago when my wife and I used to travel, we went to Barcelona and I knew that if I stayed at the W, I knew exactly what I was going to get. There's going to be a lively bar, probably a DJ cars parked up front and a nightclub on the top floor. And that's what I was looking for, uh, Stand 10 years ago when I was still in my 20s, right? But now, I couldn't want to stay farther away from the W. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I just prefer the ambiance and the environment of a Four Seasons or a Ritz-Carlton. So like I said, you have your brands that in co-working and flexible workspace that fit the segmentation of your Courtyard by Marriotts, your Embassy Suite, your W Hotel. But then there's still a huge market and a big crowd of people that want to stay at the Four Seasons and the Ritz. So that's the market that we're going after. Again, It's not a knock on any of them. Hilton owns every variation, you know, from three, four, five-star hotels, similar with Marriott. So like I said, in this case, we focus on that five-star market.
1: Well, and the evolution of your tastes as, you know, one of America's, if not the oldest millennial, I guess your taste has changed along the way. And and with that, so many other people who have gone to shared workspace may have found that the amenities that they were looking for back in the earlier days are not the same as the ones they find themselves needing today. So we got a pretty good look at the consumer side of the business. Why don't we take a quick break here and let's come back on the other side of the break and talk some more, Jason, about the franchise.
0: Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike disc or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific, and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time your prospects simply answer a few questions online and like magic zoracles algorithms scientifically slice dice and analyze their thresholds for risk their business acumen and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball but there's no hoodoo here it's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself, it's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoricalprofiles.com. And we're talking today with Jason Anderson, president of VentureX, United Franchise Group's co-working spaces, growing rapidly around the country, around the world. Jason, tell us a little bit about the franchise side of the business. Uh,
2: VentureX was started in 2012 in probably one of the least known co-working markets in all of the United States, Naples, Florida, by a real estate developer named David Diamond. Him and his son, Brett Diamond, launched the concept and immediately the location was sold out. They saw that there was an opportunity there in a market that none of your well-known big players had really even thought of coming into. That led to a connection with Ray. And then in 2016, we started franchising. We now have 29 open, 25 more set to open this year in 2020, and 115 sold in 27 countries. So to give you an idea, last year we received over 6,500 inquiries. And we only approved 1% of those to move forward with the location. Now, the reason I rambled through some of those numbers, co-working has been a very hot buzz topic. So we really don't have any lack of interest for people coming in. And they've came from every market, every industry essentially in the world. But when it comes down to it, very few people at this investment level have, A, the financial means to do it. So uh, our typical location is going to be anywhere between one and a half to close to $4 million when it's opened. Of that amount, about 70% could be financed. So Stan, one of the first things is that we're typically not dealing with first-time entrepreneurs for the VentureX franchise. A lot of our people, as I mentioned before, have came from the hospitality industry. So people that already own Marriott, Hilton Brands, Embassy Suites, and they're looking for a way to diversify their portfolio. Probably another third of our owners come from real estate development. They either already have properties and they're looking for a way, instead of them leasing their space to another co-working company, they wanna monetize their space as well or turn their space into a mixed-use development or drive revenue and traffic to their other retail developments that they may have. And then stand probably a third of our owners are coming from corporate America, high-level roles. We've had people from IBM, from pretty much a lot of the Fortune 500 companies, as you could imagine. So I think what's make our concept so unique, and a lot of people are interested in it, is it's a very simple business model. Uh, one of the things that we break down to whenever we work with somebody that's looking at us versus, let's say, a large format restaurant, which, again, there's a lot of great brands. I don't want to mention any names. I don't want to come across as I'm bragging, but I'm pretty sure you've seen you know, the Buffalo Wild Wings of the world, all great concepts, but there's a lot of moving parts when you look at these concepts. TVs, beer, wine, typically hundreds of employees, huge construction costs, and VentureX, we're typically leasing a space. Believe it or not, about 70% of our location are leased from the landlord. You build it out and it's literally open Monday through Friday, nine to five. And members that have certain memberships have access 24 seven. And you simply have to rent out spaces subdivided for more than you lease the space in your expenses. So I think some people are really taken aback at the simplicity of the business model. And it really takes them typically a few weeks to grasp how easy of a concept this is. The other side of that is the growth trajectory. We're on the same growth path as electric vehicles and delivery services and Ubers. What I mean by that, it's simply a better way of doing something that's already existed. When you break it down, coworking is simply flexible office space, right? Coworking is kind of the sexy buzzword. The industry has been around for 20 plus years. But it's really just having its renaissance. Uh, So Jones, Lang LaSalle, all of the major commercial real estate companies have stated that right now, flexible workspace only makes up 5% of the entire office marketplace. That number is expected to grow to 30% by 2030. So that's 25% growth over the next 10 years, that's really, really up and to the right of the entire office marketplace. Now, how that breaks down is 20% of that 25% is people coming out of traditional leases, right? So there's a lot of companies right now that are in five and 10-year office leases, used furniture, they're buying coffee, they're paying for internet. It's simply not going to make sense for them to do that again when there's better, simpler, flexible options that they can get into probably in better locations with brand new furniture like we have. That's why we're starting to have those Fortune 500 companies come into our space. The analogy I use is when I land in New York City, there's still a line of taxis, but I call an Uber. Maybe everybody doesn't call an Uber, but I call an Uber. And usually everybody I'm traveling with prefers to get in an Uber than a taxi. Just a better way of doing something that already existed. So that's kind of a breakdown for some of the logistics. Our franchise fee is 79.5. And again, as I mentioned, our total investment typically ranges from about one and a half million to up to about $4 million for our location. And again, a big chunk of that is financeable and broke down kind of who our typical buyer is and even an example of how many actual inquiries we got last year to how many people we ended up qualifying. So we do a lot of vetting on the front end. We meet every potential prospect face-to-face, and then we invite them down to come visit anywhere between three to six of our locations. Uh, before they ever even put down a fully refundable deposit. So again, we have a well-tuned process and uh, excited about the future growth we have come in 2020 and the, the following years.
1: I'm curious, when you talked about the investment of $1.5 to $4 million, I made an assumption until you clarified later that this is minus real estate. So these are typically leased instead of purchased. I thought that a large part of that large number might represent the real estate commitment, but Did I understand that correctly, that most of these then are leased?
2: It is. It's typically leased spaces. And another thing that makes us unique is where our locations are typically larger than some of your uh, other concepts that you see in the space, where our average this year now has moved up to about 20,000 square feet, and our minimum is 15. So we have some locations that are approaching the 40,000 square foot mark. So when you look at a 30,000 square foot space, uh, that's a lot of construction, design, furniture, technology that goes into that space, and also the build-out. One of the things to consider, Stan, is that we have a fully vetted, I'm still a licensed real estate broker in three states, we have an internal real estate team, we work with the franchisees on securing that real estate. So per our FDD, we averaged right right over a million dollars in tenant improvement for our franchisees. So if you're looking at a $3 million project, that's a million dollar right up the top a million dollars right off the top that the landlord is contributing. We also then averaged eight months free rent in the negotiation. So if you start building out a P&L or Performa, which all of our franchise do, franchisees do on their own or with their accountant and through a process and we can give them, because you could pull comps on what offices are going for, see what your market occupancy rates are, exactly the same way if you were buying a house, all of the same data exists on commercial real estate. Point with that is, is we're averaging a million dollars in TI, eight months free rent. If you start building out what a financial model looks like, you could see how those numbers could grow very substantially, substantiated by data that does not really exist in most franchise industries. So if that makes sense, if you're looking to buy a food concept per se, you really want to know what the average ticket is of everybody in the system that's also selling the same sandwiches, subs, or pizzas that you are. If you're opening a hotel, what the Hampton Inn charges here in West Palm Beach has very little bearing to what the Hampton Inn charges in Times Square. So our business is real estate, local market related more so than Mm -hmm. industry averages. So all of our owners are able to do very in-depth research before securing a location and build very logical market supported performance and projections before ever signing a lease. So it really is a different beast than an animal uh, in regards to what you would typically see uh, your typical franchise buyer do, per se.
1: How do you um, structure a financial performance representation?
2: So our item 19 right now is that we show average occupancy rates for our location. And the reason we do that is, as I mentioned before, average tickets really don't apply when you're talking about hotels or co-working spaces. As I mentioned before, like a hotel in Tulsa is not going to be the same as Dallas or Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York City. So the first thing we show is that as of last year, we're obviously working on the 2020 update. We had three locations that had... Uh, been open over a year. Each of those locations had hit 100% occupancy. Now, what's important to understand about that is occupancy, 100% occupancy is not 100% of potential revenue. That just means the occupiable seats that they had, meaning your private desk and your private uh, offices were all at some point occupied. They still had community memberships, conference rooms, event space rentals. So that was a great number. We then tiered down to show what the locations from six to 12 months were doing. That was 74% and locations under six months averaged 25%. We then showed that average TI, the $1 million average free rent. And then everything else, you're going to be using real time, localized data to build your Performa. So to to drive that home even more, to use the real estate analogy, If you're looking to sell your house or buy a house in a subdivision, you don't want to know what people sold for on the other side of town, you want to know what people sold for in your subdivision. Not five years ago, not two years ago, probably the last six to 12 months is what's going to matter to you. Exact same scenario exists when we're looking at a space. We've had locations that we looked at three years ago that don't make sense, but now those developments have been built, people are moving into the market, now they make sense the market has changed. So we're using localized market data with every franchisee every time to, uh, to make those decisions before we go into a new space.
1: So if I understand correctly, high net worth individuals that want all the benefits of a restaurant minus all of the inconveniences and all of the penny profits, they struggle with in labor costs and cost of goods, um, that's your buyer and you don't find those being first-timers either. So I think we see the profile and understand who it is that you're appealing to. Jason, what have I not asked you, if anything, that you wish that I would, because we're very rapidly closing in on the clock. Any questions that I should have asked and didn't?
2: Oh, that's a hard question. Taking me off script here. I, I usually say, Stan, that obviously I'm biased about our industry. But like I said, I think really if you have a potential prospect, if you're a franchise consultant, if you're looking to buy a franchise and you're looking at the large investment side of the business, Um, I think a lot of people, and as I mentioned to you, we've had a lot of people do the research. There's very few industries overall at large investments that have the forward trajectory that we do in this industry. And again, everything we do from a sales perspective, I'm able to point to third-party validated data. Now, that may seem like a very basic statement, uh, but saying you've been in franchising a long time. I'm pretty sure you realize that that's not true with most industries. Right? There's nobody really compiling data on how many pizzas are being eaten on a daily basis in New York City. Well, you could guesstimate it's a lot because you see all the locations. Mm-hmm. There's no third-party data and information compiling that. Every block of America, building by building, has been tracked on LoopNet, third-party data, local commercial real estate information, so you're able to get a level of information when you're making this purchase that simply doesn't exist in many other industries. And that's one of the true reasons people buy. I would love to think that you know we're just the greatest salespeople and then we have the slickest presentation, we came up with it. Our buyers are making an extremely logical decision based upon factual, localized market data that's being substantiated, not just by us, by their local commercial real estate broker that we connect them with before they make the decision. So I just wanted to leave the audience with that, you know, kind of have that sink in for a second, because like I said, that information does not exist in 95% of franchising industries that we have the benefit of having that. A location either makes sense or it doesn't. The same way a house you're buying either appraises or it doesn't. Very similar scenario.
1: A new and better way to do something that we've all done forever is what you coined as a phrase earlier in this interview. Innovation and disruption are things that I've known from Ray Titus for years and clearly speaking with you, your passion for disruption of status quo is more than evident. Appreciate you taking the time to share it with the audience here today. How about some contact info for those that might want to get in touch with you and find out more
2: sure well you can reach me on linkedin that's always a easy way to get there it's jason r anderson there's a lot of jason anderson so you probably need to add the r there or just google jason anderson VentureX, and i should pop up or you can email me directly at jason at i would give my number out but i spend so much time on the road you'll probably get my voicemail so it's better to send me an email to jason at or just connect with me on linkedin
1: Jason, it's been a real pleasure. I look forward to seeing you in a little less than three weeks when we are going to be at IFA in Orlando. Can't thank you enough for being here. Thanks, Dan. Well, there you have it. Another insightful guest and interview. More to come next week when my guest will be Soccer Shots co-founder and partner, Jeremy Sorzano, talking about when, why, and how he and his co-founder, Jason Webb, began adding executives to the team, a third partner to ownership. And eventually replacing themselves with seasoned professional franchise management and the difference that it's made to the trajectory of their business. Remember, you can subscribe to Franchise Today at Block Talk Radio and that you can download us from iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and virtually any place that podcasts are found. Please remember, too, that you can ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Franchise today. Please like us on Facebook, and remember, I'd love to hear from you, with recommendations for guest interviews, as well as any thoughts or comments you'd like to share about the podcast. All of my contact info is easily found on my LinkedIn profile. So, until next week, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best.